Let us bow our heads as we, as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come apart from the cares of this life and to open your word. And Lord, we need help. We ask for the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts this morning. Remove every distraction as we focus on you as revealed through your word. Speak to us, we pray. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our eight-part series of messages that we've entitled Lessons from the Life of Daniel. And we referred to this statement from Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, when he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Jesus references the book of Daniel, and we said in our presentation last Sabbath that there are four ideas that are embedded within Jesus' endorsement of the book of Daniel. Number one, Jesus took for granted that Daniel was a prophet who had written an inspired book. In other words, the book of Daniel is trustworthy, it is reliable, because Jesus said, Daniel the prophet. Some people wonder, why do we study the book of Daniel? Well, because Jesus said we need to look at it, we need to study it, especially if we're living in the end of time. Jesus said, Daniel is a prophet. You can trust him. He's reliable, he's accurate, and he's a book that we should be looking at. Number two, the book of Daniel should be studied. The book of Daniel is not a book that we should avoid, like the plague. It also implies that the book of Daniel can be understood. Some people are like, oh, all these beasts and symbols, I, I just can't study that. But Jesus says, look, we should look at this book, especially as we approach the final moments of Earth's history. And number three, Jesus promised that the book of Daniel would be understood. Praise the Lord. This is not a book that's shrouded in mystery, that is unintelligible, that no one can understand. Jesus said it could be understood. You can comprehend the book of Daniel. And number four, I guess there's five. I said there were four, but the book of Daniel's predictions reveal end-time world conditions that would be fulfilled. The predictions will happen. We can know that they will be fulfilled because Jesus said so. And number five, the book of Daniel's messages are practical and those who grasp them must do their part in escaping the dangers which will face them. In other words, the book of Daniel is not a pie in the sky by and by. It's not some concept that's not relevant to day-to-day -to -day living. But what Jesus points out is that the book of Daniel is relevant our day-to-day -day experience. We stated that the book of Daniel is a beautiful work of poetry, and it's structured, according to Dr. Dukan, in this way. It's a chiastic structure. There's only 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. The first chapter is a summary of the entire book, and then chapter 2, you can see, according to the diagram I have on the screen, chapter 2 parallels chapter 7. Chapter 3 the fiery furnace parallels chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den, same issue of worship and the death penalty. Chapter 4 
mirrors chapter 5, and then so on and so on. There's two ways of looking at the chiastic structure, very beautiful structure that we see in the book of Daniel. A few texts that we can look at, and there is a study guide in your bulletin that you can reference as we go through our presentation. Not everything is going to be there, and there are some spaces that you can write notes uh, because I, I did not want to give you a, a book in your, in your bulletin of every quotation that I use today, but the, the gist of it is here, and this was a, a reference that I wanted to include in your study guide, and it's Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other... I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. God says, I am unique. I'm like no other God. And God's claim to uniqueness is his ability to predict the future. God's ability to foreknow the future and foretell the future sets him apart from every other claim of every other deity. Now, this foreknowledge does not mean that God impinges on human free will, but God has the ability to know the decisions that we're going to make in the future and world events. This is Jesus indicating the purpose of his predictive ability in John chapter 14, verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may do what? You may believe. So Jesus indicates that the purpose of his predictive ability is so that when it does take place, we can say, ah, God's word is reliable. It's trustworthy, and it builds our faith. We'll be talking more about that in our presentation today, but one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is trustworthy and reliable is specifically because of prophecy. Okay, so here are the four essentials of Bible prophecy. So number one, before we get to that part, to set the God of the Bible apart from the other God's as the true God. As we illustrated in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10, he says, I have the ability to predict the future, and because of this ability, I am unique. I am the true God. So that's proposition number one that we can derive from the scriptures that we just read. And number two, to accurately reveal the future and thus create faith in the heart of the hearer. So when we look at Bible prophecy, it increases our faith because we know that the predictions of the past have been fulfilled. We can also know that the predictions of the future will be fulfilled as well. And to me, this establishes the veracity and the reliability of Scripture. Some people are like, how can you trust the Bible? It's because of predictive prophecy. Specifically, and one of them is the prophecy that we're going to be studying today. Number three, to reveal to the hearer the thoughts and the priorities of his heart. To reveal to the hearer the thoughts and the priorities of his heart. In other words, prophecy not only reveals the heart of God, how we react to prophecy reveals our own heart, our own motivations, and our own aspirations. Number four, 
to introduce the hearer to Jesus and his heart's need of him. The purpose of prophecy is to lead us to Jesus. Every prophecy's intention is to introduce us to Jesus Christ, and we'll find that in our story today. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, the focus of our study today, and it was read during our scripture reading, the book of Daniel chapter 2, as we come to the focus of today's study. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Now, the Bible seems to indicate that this was not one dream, but multiple dreams, and I believe it was multiple dreams of the same dream. It says dreams plural. So he's having this dream evidently, repeatedly, and then he forgets what he has dreamed, as we illustrated in our children's story today, and this happens to us all the time, but this was not because he had too much pizza, pickles, and peanut butter the night before. This is a divine dream. He gets up the next morning, and the Bible says, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to him, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, he forgets the dream, and then he calls in his wise men, and the Bible lists these wise men as magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers, and this is from Dr. Leslie Harding. He points out the nature of the individuals that he called into his court. The magicians, the translation for this word comes from the word stylus. They were skilled in mystical Babylonian literature and the occult. The astrologers were stargazers that looked into the heavens for zodiac signs. We have zodiac uh, astrologers today, so this is nothing new. This goes all the way back to Babylon. We also have sorcerers. These persons were in contact with the spirits of the dead as well as other spirits known as mediums. We have mediums today. This is nothing new. And last but not least, we had the Chaldeans, the most influential scholars in the sciences, mathematics, history, and medicine. So you had the intellectual elites, the guys with the PhDs, and then you had all of the mystics from all of their very f various forms and flavors, and they come in before the king according to Daniel chapter 2, and the king says, tell me what I dreamed in my bed last night. And they say, Tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. And this goes round and round three times, and finally the king, he's like, I'm no dummy. I know what you're going to do. You're going to make up something. Tell me the dream, and I know you can tell the interpretation. And finally the king says, look, I've had enough of you. You're on my payroll. You can't do this. You're going to be executed. Now Daniel was of junior status, so he was not allowed into this first meeting. Daniel finds out about it. He goes into the king, and he says, king, Give me some time. Give me some time to pray. You know, there's a lot of skeptics to prayer out there. You ever heard someone react to you, say, I've got to pray about this, and they're like, <clears throat> pray? What's that going to do? 
And I imagine King Nebuchadnezzar was similar, similar in that regard. He's like, you're going to pray? Like, yeah, you better pray, but well, well, I'll give you some time. So Daniel goes back home, and he gathers together his group of friends, and they have a prayer session, a prayer meeting like no other. Uh, I can't even imagine what that must have been like as they gathered together to pray and ask the God of heaven to reveal what the king dreamed in his bed the night before. What that must have been like as they said, look, we need to pray about this because this is outside of our control. We can't do anything about this. This is an impossible situation. Have you ever been in an impossible situation? There was no human solution the only thing you could do was pray. So they gathered together and prayed. And according to this story, the answer did not come in immediately. I don't know when they started praying, but they're praying and nothing's happening. They didn't receive a vision in the middle of their prayers, and it got dark. You following me? It got dark. And so Daniel went to bed. He went to bed. He went to sleep. I mean, he could have just stayed up all night worrying but that's the beauty of prayer. Sometimes our prayers are not answered immediately. But we can pray and then rest in that prayer. Amen? Daniel wasn't up all night worrying. He went to sleep. I think he slept like a baby. Went to sleep, and in the middle of the night, he dreamed the exact same dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. Not only that, he got the interpretation. He got up the next day, and I want to read the, the prayer of praise that Daniel gives in Daniel chapter 2. You can pick it up there in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20. He gets up the next morning, how he must have felt the next morning as he got up. And he's like, <gasps> I just dreamed. He calls together his friends and says, I just dreamed what the king dreamed in his bed last night. You're this is amazing. So he prays this prayer in verse 20, a, a prayer of praise. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the, God, the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with them. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. He goes into Arioch who is the captain of the guards. And you pick it up in verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Daniel could have said, These guys, these magicians, these astrologers and sorcerers and Chaldeans, they can go. That would have been a convenient time to have them executed. But Daniel wanted them to be saved. You know, Christians, we should be concerned about the well-being of individuals that don't believe the same way we do. Amen? 
people that have different religious beliefs, and these beliefs were very different on the other side, I guess you could say. But there's something about the character of Daniel, that is the character of Christ, is that we should be concerned about the well-being and the lives of people that believe differently than we do. This doesn't mean that we believe in pluralism, we don't believe in truth, but you can see something about the persona of Daniel. Daniel was a person that stood for principle, and yet he was compassionate in his way that he related to other people. Have you ever known a principled person that was very prickly in their personality and how they dealt with people? You see an example of Daniel. He didn't say, look, this is a good time to remove those wise men. Save me, but not them. He said, please save the wise men. And look at verse 25. This is interesting. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to the king, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Uh, this is fascinating about Ariok. Uh, he goes in to King Nebuchadnezzar and says, I, I found him. I, I get some props here, some credit. I found a man. And then he denigrates Daniel and says, He's one of the captives from Judah. You know, those slaves that you brought over? He's one of them. So he puffs himself up and says, I found the man. No, he didn't. Daniel found you, okay? He says, I found a man, and then he denigrates Daniel and says he's a captive of Judah. But notice what Daniel does when he goes in before the king in verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, look in verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and has made known to the king what will take place in the latter days. Look in verse 30, but as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I am more wise than anyone living. Notice what Ariok is doing. I get the credit, but Daniel says, God gets the credit. This would have been a great time for Daniel to come in and say, I'm smarter than everybody. This is because I'm brilliant. I get the credit. We get bent all out of shape when it comes to credit. I've posted something on Facebook not too long ago of a video that I took. I was very proud of. Posted it, and then someone else comes along and takes my video and posts it on their wall and acts like they took the video and didn't mention my name. And someone came to me and said, did you see this? And I was like, oh, the audacity of someone taking my video and taking credits. What if we took that same type of motivation to making sure that God got credit? Amen? Here Daniel is giving all the credit to God. All the credit to God. And sometimes in ministry, there is this temptation to get up front and say, I'm wonderful, and by the way, God is too. Notice that God is the star Amen. in this story. Now, Daniel was honored 
And God says, if you honor me, I will honor you. But that wasn't his motivation. And we need to remember that we're just the nail that hangs the picture of God. That, that's where we should be. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about glorifying him. And here Daniel, in stark contrast to Arioch, says, look, this is not because of me. This is because of God. He's the star of this. We need to give glory to him. And so Daniel goes on to tell the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has dreamed in his own bed the night before. Remarkable story. And I can just imagine that as Daniel is telling what the king dreamed, that is coming back to him. And this king is amazed. He's floored. I mean, his jaw is on the ground. Because as Daniel is telling him, this is what you dreamed last night, and as he's giving the particulars, the king is like, that's it. That's exactly what I dreamed last night. Whoa, this is amazing. How, what, what? I, I can't believe this. This is exactly what I dreamed the night before. Now, we'll come back to the dream in a moment, but skip down in verse 44 in your Bibles. This is the reaction of the king. As Daniel has given the dream and the interpretation, the king is so amazed. And look in verse 44. Look at the king's response. Verse 44, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel. Do you know what the prostrate position is? I mean, it's not just kneeling. You ever see this happen? It's not just like this. It's like the full, the full extension. I can't do that because I got some issues there. But you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, that is the full extension. The king is so amazed. After the dream is given, after the interpretation, he goes out into a full position of prostration. This is the most arrogant, the most egotistical, the most full of himself and proud individual on planet Earth. And he has just had an experience where he's been introduced to the God of the universe. And this experience is so moving that he gets off, off his throne and bows on his knees. Do you know that God wants to use you to introduce people to God? Just like that. Do you have someone in your life that you think, from a human standpoint, has absolutely no hope? You're thinking to yourself, I don't know how in the world this person is going to be introduced to Jesus Christ. They have everything, comfortable, affluent, power, money, whatever it may be, or they're in a circumstance and situation where they don't want anything to do with God, you're like, from a human standpoint, this is absolutely impossible. There is no way that God can reach this person. Well, all along, God is working in the background. He is, just like with Nebuchadnezzar. And if you say, I'm going to sign up to be the individual to introduce this person, God says, all right, let's do this thing. And God will bring about a situation just like this where the most hardened, heathen monarch, the most powerful person in the entire world that has everything and wants nothing to do with God 
is brought to an experience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, so moving, so powerful, that he gets down on his knees. The whole court is probably hushed, like what in the world is happening? He gets off his knees and just says, I have never met a God like that. That's what God wants to do with you and me. To use us like Daniel to introduce us to the God of heaven, to the place where we're like, where they're like, wow, the God you serve is amazing. Notice what he says, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, truly your God he hasn't become his God yet, still Daniel's God. He'll become his God later on in a pre- uh, another chapter that we'll come to in our series. But he says, look at this, the king answered and said, Daniel, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. Moving experience that King Nebuchadnezzar has just had. Do you want to be used in this way? God is calling for Daniels today. Wherever you may be, in your work, in your home, God is working in the background. And when we volunteer, he says, all right, let's go for this introduction. And this is going to be the most powerful, moving introduction that they can ever experience. It'll move them to action. Very quickly, let's come to the dream. So you're like, hey, what did Nebuchadnezzar dream? And there's a whole other seminar that I can go through on this, and we cover this in regularly in prophecy seminars. Uh, I remember in my last church, we had a gentleman, his name was Carlo, and he was a trumpet player. He decided that he would minister to the son of a Baptist preacher, and uh, he said, uh, let's study the Bible. So the son of the Baptist preacher told us later that he was like, oh, I'm going to show this brother some things because he's like, I grew up in the... In, in the faith, you know, I, I know my Bible. Anyway, Carlo studied Daniel 2 with him. And afterwards, the son of the Baptist preacher was amazed, and he said, you're a Bible scholar. I have never heard anything like this in my life. He was baptized. He was just graduating from Southern Adventist University as a pastor. I mean, remarkable story. This, this study of Daniel chapter 2 is, is amazing. And so here's the cliff note version. The king dreamed this dream. There was a statue that had four medals, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet partly of iron, partly of clay. Just a simple observation about the nature of this statue. It begins with the most valuable and then goes down from there. It goes from most value to lesser value. It goes from gold, silver, bronze to iron than iron and clay. The other side of that is you'll notice that this, this statue, the metals in this statue, go, go also in an increasing nature in terms of strength. Gold is more pliable than the next metal and so on. And finally, you come to iron. So, so these metals are put in an order of value and then in a reverse order of strength. 
These metals, according to Daniel chapter 2, because remember he gave the interpretation of the dream, and he says that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. So the first metal is a king or kingdom, and then it goes down from there. Now, remember, Daniel was living in the time of Babylon, so this is the first metal that's indicated, and you can fill this out in your study guide. The order of these kingdoms is Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then divided Europe. How do we know that? Because history has confirmed the nature of how these kingdoms would would succeed and take place. The head of gold is a fitting representation of Babylon because gold was plentiful in the Babylonian Empire. Silver, a very accurate depiction of Medo-Persia because they used silver in their currency. It was their standard of value in the Medo-Persian Empire, according to Herodotus. I don't know if I said that right. But we come to Greece and it is bronze, and they used bronze in their, in their warfare, in their metals, in their armaments. Alexander the Great used a lot of bronze, especially for his shields and swords. And then we come to Rome, and they are known as the Iron Monarchy of Rome. The legs are the longest part of the statue, indicating that this kingdom would be the longest lasting. And indeed, it was true. Rome lasted the longest, 500 years of Roman dominance during the Pax Romana period. The startling part about this prophecy is that it says Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, four kingdoms, and the next kingdom would be a divided kingdom. Startling accuracy, because after Rome fell, there was not one kingdom that took it over, but it was broken up into exactly 10 parts, implied by the 10 toes of this image. Furthermore, this prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 predicts that these elements of the iron and clay in the feet and the toes would never be united again. Startling accuracy because you have attempts like the European Union, Napoleon, Charlemagne, Hitler, all have tried to unite Europe and they've all failed. Now, this is just a, a very quick glance at the nature of Daniel. If you ever want to study Daniel in more detail, this is a good way of looking at it. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel chapter 8 are all talking about the same theme, except it's built on the principle of what we call repeat and enlarge. Just like in school, you start with um, you start with addition and subtraction, but you need addition and subtraction to do multiplication and division, and then it builds on from there. So God is the greatest teacher. He begins with the basic in Daniel chapter 2. Then in Daniel chapter 7, it's the same theme, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, but he enlarges on it and then fills in more details, and then Daniel chapter 8, you have even more details. So that's just a, a very quick Cliff Notes view of the nature of, of Daniel in terms of the prophetic aspect of this study. Now, the part that we want to highlight is the next part because this is the climax of the story because you have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Europe, 
And the Bible indicates that in the times of these kings, in other words, the time that we're living right now, there's going to be something that happens. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. The Bible indicates that there is going to be an event during the time in which we are living that there is going to be a disruptor. A disruptor that is of a different nature. Notice that this image has metal elements and then it has clay and metal at the end, but there is going to be an outside disruptor. This next part that comes is a stone. It's not a metal and it comes from the outside and it strikes the feet of this image, the times that we're living right now. And this stone fills the whole earth and Daniel goes on to interpret what this stone will be. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. The solution for our world problems is being discussed by very brilliant individuals. I saw this documentary in this article. It was entitled 2100, in which they surveyed the most brilliant scientists from Ivy League universities like Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. And the brightest minds of our time fear that we're not going to make it out of the year 2100 because of all of the issues that our planet is facing. Stephen Hawking, the brightest mind of our time, who's the chair of the Lucasian um, chair of mathematics at Cambridge University, brilliant man, and he says the solution for mankind is to inhabit other planets. That's his solution. The Bible says the ultimate solution is the second coming. The second coming is going to be the only thing that takes care of the problems that we're facing as a human race. The rock that comes down is going to strike this image, and I believe that we're living in the toenails of this statue. We're living at the very final end of this prophecy, and this next part is going to be fulfilled. So we have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and divided Europe, and God is five for five. You following me? He was right about Babylon, He's right about Medo-Persia, he's right about Greece, he's right about Rome. Then he comes to the last one, he says, ah, 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 this is not going to be a whole empire. It's going to be divided into ten parts, and it's never going to be reunited again. What about the next prediction? Now, I'm not a gambler, nor a better, but just say for the sake of illustration that we go to a horse race, and I tell you, I think you should bet on horse number five. And you're looking at me you're like, do you know anything about horses? I said, no, but bet on horse number five. And you're like, oh, come on, pastor. Well, hopefully I'm not a pastor in betting. Anyways, but anyways, so, so then, then we go into it, and you're like, oh, whatever. I, I don't know anything, so I'm just going to put my money on horse number five. And then horse number five wins. And you're like, oh, you got lucky, David. So we go in again. And I said, this time you need to bet on horse number 11. And you're like, ah, okay, well whatever. So you put your money on horse number 11, and horse number 11 wins. By this time, you're like, there's something funny going on here. Two for two, and you know nothing about horses? So we go to the horse race again, a third time. And I said, horse number 15. 
by this time, you're getting a little bit more confidence in my ability. And so you're like, okay, I'll put my money on horse number 15. And horse number 15 wins. And this happens five times. Five times. I am five for five. Every single time we go to the horse race, I say, put your money on this horse. Every time, my prediction is right on. So then we go to the horse race a sixth time. And by this time, you're a believer. Right? Five for five. And you come to me and you're like, all right, David, which horse? I've sold my house. I've sold my car. I've liquidated all my assets. I'm going to put it all on this horse because I have been five for five. Look at this. God, five for five. 100%. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Europe. The last part of this prediction is the only part that has not come true. And this is what we call an intelligent faith. Are you following me? Some people think, oh, Christians, you're a bunch of wonky individuals that turn off your intellect, turn off our brains. Well, God appeals to our reason. This is called an intelligent faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is built on evidence. So here we have evidence. Five for five. The sixth prediction, do you think it's going to come true? Is this an intelligent faith? Does God expect us to turn off our brains and just be like, oh, I guess I better believe in the second coming? No. God has told us, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Europe, and then the next event is going to be the second coming. This prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 is so compelling that higher critics and scholars that don't believe in God say that, look, this prophecy could not have been written in the time of Daniel. It had to be written during the time of Europe because it is so compelling. But Daniel is referred to by Jesus and endorsed. How can we trust the book of Daniel? Because Jesus said you can trust him. What does Daniel talk about? This predictive prophecy that is so compelling that shows us that the second coming will take place. And you can be an intelligent Christian and believe in the veracity and the authenticity of the second coming. This is not pie in the sky by and by. This is something that we can believe. It's going to happen. And I believe it's going to happen very soon. I don't know exactly when, but it's soon. We can't just keep going on the way that we have been. Practical application. Now, let's bring this down. So how does this relate to our day-to-day living lessons from the life of Daniel? Refer in your study guide there, practical lessons. The last part of the page, as we begin to wrap up, Daniel was on an impossible situation. He was asked to figure out what the king had dreamed in his own bed. If Daniel failed, he was told that he would be killed. Daniel's response to the crisis was to pray. Have you ever been in an impossible situation? Have you ever been in a crisis in which there was no way out? When we pray, man's impossibility is God's opportunity. Sometimes I think 
that God is just waiting to move in. but we don't let him move in because we think that the only way out of this situation is to compromise our loyalty to God. You following me? I mean, we're in an impossible situation and the only alternative we think is to compromise. Compromise our loyalty to God, compromise our our, uh, loyalty to Scripture (laughs) and to following the principles of Scripture, and, and we say, look, I'm going to compromise. Well, God is waiting in the wings, and he's like, look, I'm about to move in in the situation in which there's no way out and show that the God of heaven does exist. We really compromise. Compromise really limits God's ability to move in a powerful way. And when we pray, man's impossibility is God's opportunity. And this is a statement from Steps to Christ, page 94 and 95. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse where are treasured, what does it say on the screen? The boundless, what's another word for boundless? Limitless, infinite. The limitless, boundless resources of omnipotence. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.